Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Good morning, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today, I have an interview to share with thriller author Rosie Walsh, and we are discussing her latest novel, The Love of My Life. Um, This is a novel about marriage and the secrets that spouses keep from one another and perhaps the reasons behind those secrets. So if that sounds interesting to you, definitely keep listening. So we will get started with the housekeeping information, followed by that interview, and then I will be back to chat with you about some of this week's new books. You can find us on Facebook by searching for The Book Bistro Podcast, Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the book bistro podcast. This is Shannon and today I am chatting with author Rosie Walsh about her latest release, The Love of My Life, which came out here in the U.S. on March 1st. Rosie, thank you so much for agreeing to be with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Could we start with a brief introduction to the love of my life so that listeners can have a little bit of an idea what to expect. Of course. So the love of my life is the story of Emma and Leo, um, who to the outside world look like the perfect couple, really. Um, They both have successful careers. Emma is a marine biologist. Leo is an obituary writer. They've got a very funny, gorgeous little girl called Ruby. And they live in a really beautiful ramshackle house in, in a really lovely part of London. However, when we first meet them, Emma is waiting to find out if her cancer treatment has worked and Leo is dealing with all of his feelings um, the way he knows best, which is to write her obituary. And he's doing that in secret. And it turns out to be one of the worst decisions he's ever made, because in the process of basic fact checking, he discovers that Emma, his wife, the love of his life, is not who she says she is. And thus begins a really dramatic journey for them both, um, as Leo comes to terms with the idea of the love of his life being nothing more than a story. And Emma is forced to confront a past so dark and so awful that she spent her entire adult life trying to bury it. Wow. (laughs) I was really intrigued by the idea of, you know, someone writing an obituary for someone like before 
they've actually passed away. And it kind of occurred to me that if we were talking about, you know, famous people, like people that are in the public eye, like I could sort of see, you know, maybe people like do this. I I don't know. (laughs) But it seems um, like the the perfect sort of entry point to a story. Um, But it did make me wonder, like, if, you know, if this is a thing that people actually um, spend their time doing. It is. And I'm glad you didn't know that people do that because I didn't either. And then I felt rather silly for not realizing that most obituaries are pre-written. Because if you think about it, you know, most people, when they famous people, when they die, the obituary is published online, you know, on most newspaper and media websites within an hour. So of That's course, true. they've all got something there ready. Nobody can write with that accuracy and that speed and, you know, sum up somebody's life in the space of an hour. It takes it takes it. I would say it probably takes a good few days to write a really major obituary. Um, so I didn't realize. And, and actually, that's how the novel started. Um, my partner and I were having a slightly awkward dinner, I guess, uh, with <laughs> a couple who we <laughs> we sort of wanted to make friends with them. We just moved to a new city and um, wasn't really going very well. The conversation wasn't really flowing. Um, and so we um, we were sort of just plugging away, trying to find something that we all you know had in common. And. Then the guy and the other couple said something in about, about an obituary that he was writing and he was sort of chatting away. And I said, hang on, you mean the guy's still alive? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, does, does he know that you're writing his obituary? And he said, I don't know. I said, so why does he think you keep calling him to ask questions about his life? And he said, huh. I guess he's probably worked it out. Um, and I was absolutely enthralled by that idea, you know, by the idea of trying to write up somebody's life and do they realize you know do they know how much do they care do they start trying to sort of put on their best self and um I reached my phone and I wrote an email to myself uh with the elevator pitch um obituary writer starts researching somebody's life discovers they're not who they say they are and a few months later that turned into obituary writer um starts researching his wife's life and discovers that ah, yes. she is. <laughs> and as soon as I had that, I was off. And I once again, um, as I did with Ghosted, which was my previous book, I had found myself a book that was, you know, in equal parts, a love story and, you know, quite a fast paced, quite dark mystery. Yes. So do you, um, it seems like that is kind of a, a thing that you're becoming known for, this sort of uh, like intersection between love and and darkness. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, it wasn't intentional. Uh, when I came up with the idea for Ghosted, when I started out, that was going to be a more sort of commercial romantic fiction kind of an idea. Because at the time I was still writing commercial fiction under a pseudonym. Oh. And um, I, you know, I expected to give it the same treatment and it would be, you know, quite funny and, you know, nice love story. And, um, you know, with a with a bit of darkness and a bit more heavier than, you know, just a dating book. But, you know, it, it was never meant to be what it became. And then I started writing it and... And I think this longing I'd had for years to actually write something more weighty and uh, not literary, but more literary than, you know, than what I was doing. Um, it all just sort of happened at once. And and I shared a draft with my agent and she said, oh, right. OK, this is this is different. I think it's time we took you out under your own name. And 
you know, let's just really take this in in a new direction. Let's just let this let's just let this happen. You have me curious now um, to know, you know, what you've written before and like if I if I've read any of it, because that's just how my mind works. <laughs> <laughs> so my first four books, um, they were sort of I guess they were sort of romantic comedies, uh, sort of upmarket romantic comedies. Um, and my first novel was called The Greatest Love Story of All Time. Uh, <laughs> and, it st- and it started with um, a heartbroken woman who hadn't got out of bed for two day- two weeks. Oh. Um, <laughs> because her heart had been broken. And um, yeah, the book, the book, the, the book started with her friends breaking into her house and sort of setting her a challenge to get herself back on track and obviously and her journey does not take um quite the path that she imagined and she ends up sort of falling in love with somebody this sounds like very very familiar to me oh maybe you've read it <laughs> maybe can you tell me what it's called it's called the greatest love story of all time literally yeah <laughs> No, I don't think I've read it, although I, I will have to. <laughs> it's um I'm gonna warn you now, if if you're not a fan of um profanities, then you may not enjoy it. I remember when it came out in the States, um the first review I read um said that I should be the author should be ashamed of herself, that um my, her language was disgusting and that the book oh, was dear. so yeah, just 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 a heads up. <laughs> okay. In case you have those kind of sensitivities. No, no, not usually. You know, I think um, it really depends for me, like, how how the story is and, like, does it feel like an authentic part of the story? I think if someone's just, like, writing that way just for sort of shock value, like, I'm not so much a fan of that. No, um, me neither. But if it sort of fits with, like, the voice of the story... Um, you know, I think it, it can work really well. I think so too, because some people do just swear quite a lot, you know. It's... Sometimes they do. And, and, you know, not everyone in the character does speak in that way. So, hmm. anyway, it was, it was, it was not popular amongst some American readers. <laughs> oh, well, that, that is sad. Hmm. I'm sure it was, you know, unpopular with British readers for the same reason. I just remember the, the the bad reviews being particularly heavy on that. However, um, you know, a lot has changed since then. I don't read any of my reviews anymore, um, ah. which makes me feel a little ungrateful because, you know, it's it's hugely helpful to authors that people do take the time to go and write reviews. But my skin's not thick enough. Well, and I think there is always this sort of belief of you know, that readers write reviews, like it's, it's in a, in a reader space, a lot of people think, and mm-hmm. reviews are, are for readers, you know, not always for writers. So I wonder if that, you know, kind of helps, like if you just, you know, don't, don't venture into that space, perhaps. I think it's best. Although there's a, there's a strange thing that happens these days. And actually I, um, I saw another author posting about it recently and I see authors posting about this all the time is people writing negative reviews and tagging the author in it. I do not understand. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. I, I've person seen... person does that? <laughs> well, you know, people uh, people have done a lot of things that I don't really understand. Like, mm-hmm. 
just in terms of even writing reviews. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. perfectly reasonable to write a critical review. Yes. Um, but I think there's no reason to attack. Like, like you don't know the author. At least I'm assuming you don't most of the time. Um, you, you know, like you have no personal knowledge of what goes into this. And it just doesn't it doesn't seem to really serve anyone or anything to write like nasty reviews, just I mm. guess because you can. I entirely agree. And I had an absolute humdinger of a review from The Washington Post with Ghosted. Actually, it wasn't even a review. It was just a blog post. He, well, not a blog post, but like a column he wrote where he said, I'm not even going to review the book because I found it to be hyperbolic and overwritten. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but you know what? Even though it was a slightly dismissive way of of saying that, I was like, okay, there's something that I can, you know, that I can think about overwriting hyperbole. You know, actually, that's useful to me. It was painful, but I was glad that I read it because it was useful to me. Um, Whereas just saying, you know, this is awful. I was really bored. The author is clearly, you know, poorly educated. Or, you know, I I mean, I don't know what people say in horrible reviews anymore because I haven't read any in 10 years. But um, (laughs) I... (laughs) I just can't. Um, I, I, yeah, like you, I don't see the purpose in that. I don't see who's benefiting from that, apart from the reviewer themselves potentially feeling good about themselves for five minutes, you know, through the process of putting someone else down. That's the only motivation I can think of. So, you know, I, I write a lot of reviews, um, not for, um, you know, not for the podcast, but just in, in other spaces. And I think, you know, I'm always, but I want to talk about the things that work for me in a book and the things that don't yes. work for me in a book. Mm. Um, and why, if something doesn't work for me, like what about that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I'll read a book and it just like, I feel like those kind of middle of the road books where they're not like, they're not great, but they're not horrible. Like, I feel like then I struggle to come up with mm. like the things to say you know well, like, maybe that's that's when we shouldn't write reviews right <laughs> like if there's nothing to say <laughs> and if then the only thing you can decide to do is attack authors um mm. you know that that's not that's not any good no, but, aside, <laughs> but aside from sort of not you know reading reviews are there things that you kind of find like challenging about this path that you've taken as a writer and like things that you know maybe cause you to like give it a a second thought yes yes definitely um I've you know I think like most writers who've been writing you know as their job as their sole source of income for a while you know (laughs) When you meet a, a newly published author who's sort of coming up to their first publication, they're a very different kettle of fish. You know, they're normally just incredibly excited and full of gratitude. And I always feel bad when I meet people in that situation because I feel like this sort of jaded person. Writing is like any other job. It has challenges. It really does have challenges. One of the unexpected challenges for me was the solitude. Um, I came from a television production background. So I was used to a fast pace, you know, t- intense deadlines. And I was used, above all, to working in a team where there was a constant, you know, process of feedback. Ah, yes. And um, I found the lack of interaction with other humans 
and the lack of feedback really, really hard. After probably after the first year, the first year I just loved it. You know, it was so wonderful to not have to get out of bed at a certain time. And this is, of course, pre-children. Um, <laughs> and then a year later, you know, I realized I'm lonely in my working day. And above all, I feel creatively blocked because I'm not able to bounce my work off anyone. And that, for me, was a real problem. Oh. And that's the point at which I set out to find a writing partner. Ah. And so how did that how did that work for you, like to find a writing partner? Like how how did that sort of change um, how writing worked for you? So um, I started off by asking a load of author friends if they would be interested in being a writing partner. And I said to them, you know, I'm thinking maybe we speak once a fortnight and we just, you know, share a few chapters with each other and spend, you know, maybe an hour each talking about each other's books. And um, they all said no. <laughs> no. I think, you know, most writers write in a pretty chaotic way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm no exception. You know, I'm, I can be really chaotic in my writing practice, particularly again, since having children. So they all said no which is a little disheartening, but, you know, I was un undeterred. And I got into a conversation with um, a woman who's now become a, a wonderful friend and without whom I actually couldn't have written this book. And she um, she said to me, she, what's it she said? She said, I'm about to start out writing my first novel and I just don't know where to begin. Would you consider giving me some pointers? And she said, not just to chat now, but like maybe checking in once a month and she said I don't know what I can offer you she said I don't think I'd be able to afford you on a consultancy basis but you know she said I do have a background in coaching you know is there anything that you need help with from that point of view um and I <laughs> and I'd already had quite a few conversations with her about books because we had um we we judged a, a competition a literary competition together so I knew that I really trusted her editorial sensibilities and so I just said to her well, would you be interested in being a writing partner? <laughs> she was like, what? I, mean, I don't think she was expecting that. And I said, no, no, I'm serious. I would really love it. So I pitched the same sort of format to her that I pitched all my writing friends. And she readily accepted. And, oh, gosh, I'm so incredibly grateful she did because so many of the problems that I had writing this book, you know, just the writer's block and having plot problems, I could not have solved without her. She was absolutely extraordinary, so patient, so generous with her time. And her editorial instincts, I think, are absolutely unparalleled. I think she's an extraordinary editor, even though she's a writer. One of the things I like most about chatting with authors and, and coming to know a little bit about sort of their, their process and the way that they approach their work is just the huge originality in that process. Like no one approaches this in exactly the same way like you are the first person that has talked to me about actually finding like a partner and not a partner in the sense that like they're writing the book with you but that you know you both are are giving of your time to to help each other in in a way that is is beneficial mm. um yeah I've uh I've only met one person so far who also has a writing part writing partner and that's Ashley or Drain actually and it was really lovely to connect with her on that because we both know how hugely beneficial it is to us. And the reason that is, it's not just that we get help with our manuscripts, it's that we are able to help others. And I think in any situation in life where I'm finding something difficult, 
I always feel better if I can be helpful to somebody else. And um, so on the one hand, I have that just the satisfaction of being helpful to someone else. But also it's a really good confidence builder, because even if I'm completely stuck with my own plot, um, I am I'm reminded that I am still a good storyteller because I can instantly look at her manuscript and say, hmm, I think this is what what it needs. Or have you considered this? Or I think the problem is X, Y or Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's such a freeing thing to be reminded every time I talk to her. Oh, no. I do have good instincts. I am a good storyteller. I'm just stuck with my yes. own. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's that a makes a lot of sense. Sorry, carry on. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that makes a lot of sense that, you know, it kind of gives you that boost that people sometimes need. Mm, yeah, it really does. And, you know, I, 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 I would challenge any author um who told me that you know they found writing to be a really joyous and flowing experience it's not you know you have moments of greatness and the rest of it is a very gray trudge <laughs> and you know your confidence really ebbs and flows there's some very funny memes about you know the, the sort of process of writing a novel and the insane highs and lows and <laughs> the beliefs that you <laughs> you know that are going on in your head at any one time when you're trying to write a novel and right, to be able but either, to you know, it's going to be really else. great or mm. it's going to be really terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it is, it's a job of such extremes. I, I'm really, I'm really hoping with my next book to try and find a calmer middle ground, but I'm pretty sure I won't be able to. So speaking of that, can you tell listeners anything about what we can expect next from you? Hmm. Happily. Um, so the next book is, um, I can sort of, I guess I can tell you the prologue. Uh, we've got a young couple who have been backpacking in Thailand and they've just got married on a beach. Um, they've not oh. known each other very long, but, you know, they, they are definitely madly in love. And they're having this beautiful evening and the sun's going down and all the lights are coming on in the, you know, on the, on the beach. And, you know, you could see the squid boats out at sea and it's just a perfect, beautiful night on a Thai island. Anyone who's been on holiday in somewhere like Thailand will know the scene. And suddenly the, the beach is sort of uh, strobed with flickering lights and it's a convoy of police cars who come and arrest the young man, the husband. Oh. And they take him away and his, you know, his young wife, they're only about 20, um, does everything she can over the next few weeks and months to try and um, free him. And she gets her father over. He's a lawyer, but, you know, nobody seems able to do anything to get him out. And... Um, she never sees him again until 20 years later when married and with children, she opens her front door and there he is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't got a title for it yet, but we're thinking something like the one day we were married. Or, I mean, something like 24 hours, our, our 24 hour marriage sounds a bit sort of romantic comedy. So it wouldn't be that, but something of that. Yeah, but something like it. Mm, being married for a day, something around Yes. That. Yes, it always makes me think of, you know, we talk a lot like in history about um, Jane Grey, who was queen, you know, for nine days. And just sort of that really short period of time in which, like, your life changes in ways that you never would have expected. Mm, Exactly that. Yeah. So when you aren't writing, um, do you read? I do. And um, (laughs) what? One of the unexpected, well, I was about to say unexpected pitfalls, but it's also a wonderful thing. 
um, about having a book that's done well is that people suddenly want you to blurb for their books. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, so, and so I have hundreds of books in my house that I have not yet read that I should have done months ago. And these days, actually, editors are really frank with their deadlines. You know, they, they'll send you a letter saying, would you consider writing a blurb for this book? And our deadline is this. <laughs> so don't be late. And I repeatedly fail to meet my uh, deadlines. And it's not because I don't want to help. It's just, you know, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. So as a result, I haven't done any pleasure reading in a long time. Like, you know, books that I've actually chosen and bought myself. I've got books. Every now and then I just get fed up of the pile of review books and I go and buy books and then I still have to review more books and I never get around to them. Um, but yes, so I do. I am always reading. And these days with two kids and a job, you know, often by the time I've got the kids into bed, at you know, about quarter past eight. And then have to immediately after I've cleared up the devastation in the kitchen, I have to start working because there's no time in the day. Ah, yes. Um, okay, you sound like somebody who knows that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I watched my mom um, go through this, and yeah. you know, it's, it's a it's a hard thing. Have you read anything recently that you think the world should know about? Um, yes, there's a book coming out in I think May or June in the states called Wrong Wrong Place Wrong Time. Um, and it's a high concept psychological thriller about a woman who um, is waiting for her son to come back. It's just before midnight and um, she finally sees him coming back and she's really relieved and she's just about to go back to bed as she sees him walking out the road when another man walks towards him and she watches her son stab the man to death. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah, no, it's no, it's not. I mean, you don't actually see any of that happening. Um, that's the only horrible bit. And um she waits and, you know, they spend the night in the police station, you know, her and her husband. Yeah, I bet they do. Know. Yeah, <laughs> horrific. Um, but then the next morning she wakes up and it's the day before and it hasn't happened. Whoa. And then, you know, the next day when she wakes up, which should be the day of the actual murder, it's another day before that and it still hasn't happened. And she basically is being sent back day by day by day, wow. trying to piece together what happened, why her son murdered somebody and to try and figure out a way of stopping him if she can. It's so clever. I mean, the idea is the way it's executed, it's flawless. I was gripped. So good. It's called Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. Oh, Gillian McAllister. She's my favorite. I love her so, so much. Oh, wow. Which one is you? Oh, let's see. Um, The Good Sister... Uh, there's one where like I can't remember the title, but it's like it shows kind of two like two ways a situation could have gone, and you see like does this person report a crime in one like timeline she does, in another timeline she doesn't. Oh, um, well, in the um, UK, it's called everything you do say. Yes, yes. yes okay. Which is part it's of called what? something else here, but okay. I can't remember what it's called here. But it was it was so, so good. She writes a good book, doesn't she? <laughs> yes. And she has an orange cat, which makes her like my very favorite person in all the world. <laughs> you must interview her <laughs> when her book comes out. I have had her on um, oh, okay. a couple of years ago for for the good sister. OK. Um, and I might have freaked her out a little bit by like fangirling over her cat. Because <laughs> <laughs> cat that's, that's just kind of how things roll here. 
Amazing. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your your schedule so soon after your book came out um, to spend a little bit of time so that my listeners can have a bit of an idea who you are and you know what your what your writing is like. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting. Can you let me know the best place that listeners can find you online? Mm, yeah, so my handle on Twitter and Instagram is the Rosie Walsh. Please don't ask why it is that, but it's that. And on Facebook, I'm Rosie Walsh author, and I love hearing from people. Awesome. Again, this has been a discussion with author Rosie Walsh um, about her latest novel, The Love of My Life. All right. So let's talk about new books because it is Tuesday and that is a great thing to do. So as always, I'm going to start with some books that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated releases of September episode. And the first one is a book that Sarah is looking forward to, um, as is Stacy, but it was Sarah who talked about it on the episode. This is No Time to Lie, Masters and Mercenaries Reloaded, book four by Lexi Blake. And then I mentioned the new Courtney Summers, and Courtney Summers is an author that I'm always super excited for, but this is her latest, and it's called I'm the Girl. So those are some books that we've talked about before. So let's talk about some books that you haven't heard us mention. I'm going to start with a few historical novels, starting out with Till All These Things Be Done by Suzanne Moyers. This is set during the time of the 1918 influenza pandemic. And it talks about everything that went on, kind of all of the changes that went through society during this period of time. And so not only do we learn about the illness, but about the scientific discovery and the toll that this took on people. And I think it's an interesting parallel given the COVID-19 pandemic that we are still dealing with today. This is Till All These Things Be Done by Suzanne Moyer. We then have Heartland by Ashley E. Sweeney. This is set in 1899 Arizona Territory, and it's about a woman who is faced with a difficult choice. She can either kill her abusive husband or continue living with him for as long as he, you know, allows her to stay alive. Um, this is a, a Western set historical. And although I don't like a lot of the what we think of as like classic Westerns with like Louis L'Amour, you know, those kinds of books, I'm always interested in the stories of women who dealt with, you know, all the things that went into the westward migration. So this is Hardland by Ashley E. Sweeney. Kristen Beck has a new book out this week. She was on the podcast a couple of years ago for her debut, and her second novel is out now. This is The Winter Orphans. It is based on a true story, and it is about a group of children who brave like the harsh winters to escape the Nazis in France. This is The Winter Orphans by Kristen Beck. All right, so... 
let's talk about a couple of romances. Um, both of these authors that I'm about to mention were also on the podcast um, previously. So Lucy on the Wild Side by Carrie Ray is out this week. Carrie wrote The Wedding Ringer, um, which we talked about at the end of 2021. And I am very excited about this one. This is about a zookeeper. And although I don't like zoos, like the idea of zoos sort of in, in reality, um, they do give us a lot of insight into animals and stuff in, in fiction. So I'm excited about this one. She's a zookeeper and she's always kind of on the fringes. She never feels like she's quite settled into her life, but she learned in this book to find love and to finally chase her dreams. This is Lucy on the Wild Side by Carrie Ray. We also have a new Jennifer Probst book. This is So It Goes, Twist of Fate, book two. And this kind of reminds us that mixing business with pleasure isn't always the best idea, unless, of course, you put love in the mix. This is So It Goes, Twist of Fate, book two, by Jennifer Probst. So I'm moving on now to some mystery, thriller, suspense type things. And first up is Among the Wolves by Erica Black. And this is about a woman who is forced to face some difficult truths about her husband. She's pretty sure he's an asshole, but she's equally sure that he's not a murderer. This is Among the Wolves by Erica Black. We also have a new Carrie Stewart Parks book. This is Fallout. So this is about a woman whose life is kind of unraveling before her eyes. An SUV crashes into the building where she works. And after that, everything just seems to be going wrong. And she begins to wonder if somebody is digging up her secrets and, you know, toppling this tower of lies that she's been kind of constructing. Um, are they doing these things on purpose? This is Fallout by Carrie Stewart Parks. We also have Always the First to Die by R.J. Jacobs. This is about a horror actress who returns to the set of her most famous film, and all kinds of horrifying things ensue. This is for fans of like those classic horror novels. If you like slashers, um, this is probably the book for you. It promises you a classic slasher twist. This is Always the First to Die by R.J. Jacobs. We also have The Fall Girl. This is the latest legal thriller from Marsha Clark. She has written a few series over the years, um, but I think this is her first standalone fiction. And this is about two tough lawyers, female lawyers in California, um, and they're, you know, trying to help their client with a case. Um, Clark, you know, is, was a lawyer in, in real life. And so I really like the way she brings her knowledge of the law to her writing. It doesn't feel like pedantic, but you know, as you're reading that this is written by someone who actually knows what she's talking about. So this is The Fall Girl by Marsha Clark. 
We also have The Butcher and the Wren out this week. This is by Elena Earhart, and it is a novel told in alternating chapters from the perspectives of a serial killer and the medical examiner who is trying to track him down. This is The Butcher and the Wren, and it's by Elena Earhart. All right, let's talk about some fantasy, because why not, right? A Death in Door County is out this week. This is the first book in the Monster Hunter Mystery series by Annalise Ryan. This is about a bookstore owner who also happens to be a cryptozoologist, and she is asked to investigate a series of deaths that might or might not be tied to a lake monster. So this is A Death in Door County, Monster Hunter Mystery, book one by Annalise Ryan. We also have Bound by Blood Song. This is Kennedy Rain, book two by Sandy Williams. I read a Sandy Williams book back in 2014 and really enjoyed her take on the Fae. Um, and then I kind of lost track of her, so I was excited to see that she is still writing. This is the second novel in an urban fantasy series about a peacekeeper who is, as her title implies, supposed to keep peace in the paranormal world. But apparently, that's harder to do than she expected. This is Bound by Bloodsong. It's Kennedy Rain, book two, by Sandy Williams. <laughs> We also have Wishdress by Nadine Brands. She wrote um, a few books over the past couple of years, one of which is like a fantasy retelling of the lives of the Romanoff sisters. But this one takes on kind of a, it feels like more of a, a fairy tale. And it is about a woman whose tears can be turned to wishes and all of the ways that this can be good and bad. It's Wishdress by Nadine Brands. We also have the second book in the Once Upon a Broken Heart series by Stephanie Garber. This is The Ballad of Never After. This series is a spin-off of her Caraval series. And so if you loved Caraval or if you've been interested in her writing but never picked up Caraval, this series might be a good place to start. Um, the first book is Once Upon a Broken Heart, and this one is The Ballad of Never After, Once Upon a Broken Heart, book two, by Stephanie Garber. I want to end with a few books that are not easily categorized. Um, the first one is In the Shadow Garden by Liz Parker. This is a multi-generational novel about three women who possess magic. And I'm not sure if it's done as like a, like a fantasy where magic is something that, you know, a lot of people have and it's a big part of the world. Or if we're talking about something more subtle, kind of in the like magical realism realm. Um, but either way, it looks intriguing. This is In the Shadow Garden by Liz Parker. We also have People Person by Candace Carty Williams. She wrote Queenie a couple of years ago, which I keep moving up in my TBR pile. Um, 
I've thought about reading it and then I get distracted and then I think about it again, but it has received such amazing buzz in the years since it was published. And now her second novel is out. This is about a woman who has five half siblings and she's always known of them, but never really known, you know, who they were as people. And so this is the story of her kind of getting to know her family in a new and more meaningful way. This is People Person by Candace Carty-Williams. And lastly, I have to talk about The Book Haters Book Club by Gretchen Anthony. It's hard for me to imagine someone hating books, but apparently there is a bookstore in this particular book, and it was run by a man who could find the perfect book for anyone who claimed not to like books very much. But when he dies, someone decides they're going to sell the bookshop to a condominium developer and a group of his customers band together to save the shop. This is The Book Haters Book Club by Gretchen Anthony. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. I hope you're finding lots of great things to read. Fall is almost upon us, and there are always so many big, big releases in the fall, so I am definitely looking forward to that. I hope everyone is staying safe and well, no matter how many books or how few books you're reading. like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.